0: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Making Good, a podcast about the people, products, ideas, and initiatives doing the work the world needs now. My name is Lee Evans. This week's guest is Lydia Fry, biomimicry expert and architect from Holland, who joined me to discuss how the pioneering field of biomimicry is integrating biology into building and product design. Lydia's CV includes her three companies BioMe, Fry Architecten, and SpinWaves the latter of which, as you'll hear, works with large public and commercial organisations to problem-solve using insights from ecosystem analysis. We talked about how biomimicry relates to closed-loop design, material libraries, material passports and the emerging role of the material harvest master, and how close to the mainstream is the emerging field of biomimicry. We began by discussing how biomimicry relates to biophilic design. Biomimicry may not be a familiar word to um, to everyone. We're in a, in a in a built environment landscape at the moment where biophilic design is um, is um, increasingly is increasingly popular. How do you define um, biomimicry, and, and, and how, how should we think about um, the differences between that and um, and biophilia or biophilic design?
1: Well, there's uh, not much of a difference. It's actually linked to each other. Uh, Biomimicry is uh, learning from the 3.8 billion years of research and development of nature. And everything that uh, was developed in nature, um, when nature develops something, it is with uh, efficient energy use, efficient material use. It is without waste. Uh, It does chemistry in water and it uses self-assembly. And I think for all the main topics that we are uh, looking at right now, on uh, how to create a sustainable world, we can learn a lot from nature. And there are three essential elements with biomimicry. This is uh, ethos, that is actually why we should do stuff. Um, it is emulate, and that is learning from nature. So not copying from nature, but really uh, learning with respect for nature. And there is a reconnect. And reconnect is finding the connection again with nature. Uh, We actually forgot that we are nature ourselves Um, and um, biophilic design is actually linked to this because um, biophilia is uh, the love of nature and uh, it's proven that if we are in contact with nature... Uh, even if it's not really uh, literally contact with nature, but maybe um, even a pattern, leaf, a leaf pattern, or uh, something else, something that is related to nature, it is healthy for body and mind. So, um, biophilic design is actually related to the reconnect part of the biomimicry.
0: Got it. So, bringing out the um, the, uh, the the benefits of the sensory experience of nature, um, but. But but maybe it's it's uh, to say biofilia goes beyond this by thinking about the, the, the processes um, and the and the structures in which the natural worlds created.
1: Yeah, if you look at uh, I think you mean biomimicry. You can see nature so, yes. nature as a, a model, a mentor, and a measure. And you can learn on on different ways for, on different ways from nature. You can learn as from it as uh, for strategies, for products, for uh processes um for systems there are a lot of ways you can learn from nature
0: so i'm sure over the course of the podcast we'll um, we can we can we can explore this in um in much more detail if we can start though um maybe um by um by finding out more about kind of the origin story how this um how this began for you and um, and and the, and the journey that you've been on um with with, with biomimicry
1: when well when i was really young uh, as a kid I think all kids are much more connected to nature. Um, I think probably everyone ate some sand as a kid, uh, just to, out of curiosity. And uh, this curiosity related to nature is uh, something that I really find uh, in biomimicry. When I was a kid, I was uh, going to my grandpa and grandma's house and I found a toad. And I was completely mesmerized with the, about the toad. So I put it in my vest pocket and uh, took it home, uh, not letting my parents know I had it. And I put it in my nightstand and um, I was so excited about it, looking at it all the time. So I put a, I think I only slept for an hour and I put my light on and checking on, on the toad. But in the morning I felt a little bit guilty because, of course, this is not its natural habitat. Uh, and so I told my mom I took the toad for my... Uh, my grandpa and grandma's house uh, well land actually and uh, we put it back into nature Um, but I think with Biongry this this kind of feeling of being completely biologized or um, inspired by nature uh, I can still have this kind of childhood feeling every time I look into nature and get uh, completely in awe with all the um, magnificence that's that you can find there and when I was a little bit older, I think maybe eight or ten, you usually get the question from grown-ups, from what What do you want to be become when you're, you're older? And I would always say a veterinarian or an architect. And um, I was thinking, because I was drawing all the time, I thought, well, okay, this will not bore me. So um, I would try to become an architect. And um, I was lucky to have the... Um, capacity to become an architect to have the qualities to become an architect um but i always stayed really interested in uh, in nature and i think maybe 10 years ago or even more i found uh, a youtube film from janine benius and she's the founder of uh, uh, biomimicry uh, biomimicry institute and biomimicry 3.8 and um she was talking about biomimicry and I thought, okay, this is exactly what I wanted to do for all my life. This is the combination that I can be really technical and look into nature and be um, inspired and then translate it to uh, design. So um, uh, that's how it started for me.
0: So that was the... Um- that was the epiphany. What, what kind of what kind of projects have you um, have you have you worked on?
1: Yeah, I have uh, three businesses. Um, one is uh, Biome, and it's focused on uh, biological nanostructures and the functions it has to uh, create uh, to, uh, new materials for the future, sustainable materials. Um, in the beginning, I started working with some art because biomimicry is kind of a, a niche still, and it is uh, um, it was not so common and pretty hard to find a job in it. So art was a good way to start with it. Um, the other company I have is my architectural office, and um, it's called Vrij Architecten. And I do um, I build buildings. Uh, I do interiors, but also with biophilic design. Um, and I uh, develop methods and models um, to incorporate biomimicry into the building world, uh, construction world. And um, I have a company together with Serena, and that's called Spinwaves. And we do uh, a top-down way of biomimicry, where we advise large companies with really big technical problems on how they uh, can be more sustainable and find solutions in nature um and look at um, uh, and try to incorporate ecosystem thinking in their company um, so all the solutions will be more sustainable they, they they eventually come up with
0: can we um can we talk a little bit um, a little bit more about that I understand there's a way of thinking of um, of um, companies as ecosystems
1: um well um SpinWaves does that. Uh, with SpinWaves, we try to um, incorporate ecosystem thinking into companies. And this means that um, if you look at a problem, usually you you see uh, uh, people really would like to love to learn uh, how to solve things from other people. And they forget there's an enormous database in in nature where we can learn a lot of stuff from. And also if we look at um, solving problems, it's usually short term, and um, it's, it's focused on really a small part of the problem. Because uh, for example, we, are, we had a hackathon um, about bridges, and uh, this was for uh, Rijkswaterstaat, that's the governmental uh, um, 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 infrastructure company and they had a problem because they had to renovate uh, 250 bridges before 2024 and the problem was really big because uh, they didn't have enough uh, capacity to solve this within the company not enough uh, people that could work on it also outside the market was not uh, capable capable or big enough to do this all the information on the bridges uh, was outsourced So they didn't have enough information uh, on how to solve the, to renovate the bridges. So they had to do a lot of research. It was a big political problem uh, because there was a, uh, just the bridge in uh, Italy crashed. So there was a a big urgency to renovate the bridges. Um, It is a social problem because uh, if you want to go to the hospital and the bridge, you have to go over is closed Uh, it's a big problem for you a logistical problem with um, it was for the city of Rotterdam we chose 12 bridges to look at 12 bridges as an ecosystem and um, the second day we looked at one bridge as an ecosystem but logistical for Rotterdam uh, it's the one of the biggest harbors so uh, that was a big problem And um, we looked at a lot of different aspects like uh, demographics and stuff like that. Also, um, how to, um, if you renovate, you have to do maintenance. Uh, All bridges have different owners. All bridges have different constructions. So it was something the team within uh, Rijkswaterstaat couldn't handle on its own. And with Barnumkrie, you look at all these different aspects and uh, we worked with uh 40 hackers from all over the world Uh, we uh, we work then we work we invite them to come and work on this challenge and because it's a a biomimicry challenge and there is not a lot of ways to bring biomimicry into practice we've got a lot of people that are interested in biomimicry that want to to join us and also students that want to help fix a challenge that is a a real problem Uh, so they actually have some results on on the on the ideas they do We work with startups um, that see business potential, but also uh, bigger companies or people that work in the field that want to learn stuff, uh, new stuff, uh, and be informed. But maybe also do some acquisition on on the project. Um, And this is with engineers, designers, um, people that do philosophy, uh, politics, uh, ecologists, biologists. Whatever you can think of, um, we look at with a multidisciplinary team at this uh, um, problem. And uh, for us, the outcome was that they had uh, 20 small solutions they could do, Um, they could just start with the next day. And um, the biggest uh, change we made within uh, this uh, Rijkswaterstaat uh, was that um, they changed the way of how to approach the market and to help them solve the problem. So um, that was for us a really big, uh, a big outcome.
0: So the um, one of the outcomes was a kind of a change in the problem-solving culture of the um, of the of the of the government agency. I guess was there something that would be akin to um, to help me understand the the the, the um, a biomimicry outcome from 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 something like this? Was there something different about the way the work was actually executed that needed needed to be done that maybe emerged out of the um, out of this process? Or
1: for example, one of the outcomes was that uh, of course we use uh, we don't use a lot of uh, recycled materials for bridges. Everything is like raw new materials or. Uh, materials and one of the things that is actually already there is that you have a bamboo railing and the railing is actually better than the, uh, the steel railing also because you don't have to paint it and painting in, in a uh, harsh environment above water for example is uh, really challenging because um, you have to find a way to hang on the bridge and uh, also the, the paint is very toxic So the bamboo railing actually was a good solution also because, uh, you can grow the bamboo next to the bridge. um, so you don't have any transport. Um, and this was one of the things that, uh, is actually a product that's already there. Uh, and they didn't look uh, at it like that. And also, um, they can grow their own maintenance, uh, material. So, um. This was one of the, the the outcomes. Another one was that um, to uh, if you have a, a bridge and you close it down uh, because of maintenance, it's it has a lot of problems. But there are uh, some uh, pontons. I don't know if that's the same in English, but those are floating bridge elements. Oh
0: yeah, we say we say pontoons. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, pontoons. So, and. Um, we found out that in the neighbourhood of the, of the one bridge we looked at, there was uh, a lot of these pontoons lying there and they were perfectly applicable to have a, uh, a route next to the bridge temporarily to um, help people still, uh, so people could still cross the bridge and the bridge could be closed for a while. Um, and. Uh, the, the idea was to develop this a little bit further so you have you could have um, modular temporary bridges um, that you could apply everywhere you want. Um, but eventually even replace the bridge with a modular modular bridge so that uh, things could be recycled more easily. So if you could use one part of the bridge somewhere else, it would be much more so um, easy to close the loop.
0: The, the bridge example then, it's, um, it, it's, it's really interesting. It poses to me the, 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 the question of whether or not the, um, the, a, a biomimicry design process always starts with, um, with a specific problem and then looks to nature or, or can it work the other way? In fact, that you find, um, you're aware of a, of a, a process or, um, you know, like, a, as you described in terms of biome, um, uh, a, um, a nanostructure, a nanoscale um, biological structure which then can um, can inform a, a product or, or a material elsewhere. Does it work both ways? Or
1: Yes, yes, it definitely works both ways. So with uh, Biomimic uh, it actually, we get inspired by nature. Um, it, you can do uh, biology to design or design to biology. This is a little bit of theoretical background on, on biomimicry. So you can get inspired by nature and uh, try to uh, see if there is an application in, in the, the human world. Or, uh, and you can also look uh, at a problem like we do with hackathons and then find inspiration in, in biology. So with Biomim, we look at, um we look at biology. And we look at uh, the functions that nanostructures have. For example, a shark skin can be antibacterial. It is drag reducing. And uh, I think maybe even the color is uh, related to the nanostructure of the skin. Um, so, uh, for example, if you look at the antibacterial part, um, there is a company called Sharklet that developed an antibacterial foil that... Uh, designed the nanostructure based on the, on the shark skin and you can apply impli- you can apply this on uh, railings on uh, airports or uh, on uh, 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 um, a table in a, in a hospital um, where you do surgery uh, and it's actually kind of nice because um, the sustainable part is that if you have an antibacterial surface where bacteria do not stick, you you just don't have any bacteria on it. So you don't have to clean it with uh, a lot of chemicals. You don't create superbugs. So uh, superbugs that are resistant to all these kind of chemicals. Uh, but uh, the surface simply doesn't... Uh, the the bacteri- bacteria simply don't stick to the surface. So you don't ha- need these chemicals anymore. So
0: that's fascinating. So just to be clear, so there's... um. <clears throat> When you understand this, the structure of of shark skin, you can recreate it with other materials, but which emulate that um, which, which emulate that, um, that 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 structure and then perform in the in the same way. so it's not like gro- it's not growing shark skin, it's reproducing it or reproducing the qualities of it when you understand the components.
1: Yes, it's learning from and for example, we also now have a, a project together with lion lasers, and they can actually laser. Uh, colors on metal. So you don't use any pigments. This is is inspired by the morpho butterfly. You know, those iridescent blue uh, butterflies. Um, The nanostructure is responsible for the color because it reflects only blue light and the other ones are absorbed by the nanostructure, the other colors, the wavelengths. And um, we, we found a company that actually can do the lasering of colors on, on metal and we're working together on because they they just are just experimenting with this and they don't know actually how this works um, so together with uh, the lecturer nano uh, Nanobio, um we uh, are trying to get a funding to do more research on this how this actually works
0: this all sounds incredibly, um, cutting edge, advanced, dynamic. And as hopefully we'll come onto, like, there's some, there's some clear, um, um, uh, directions of travel, which speak to, um, to the need to, to, um, to reduce the, um, the sheer amount of material that we use. But I wonder, is there, how cutting edge is this? Are there, are there things out there in the marketplace, common things that people, um, that people may, like products that people may already be aware of, um, components in products that, you know, that, are, that have already, uh, that, that we, that are well known in, in your, in, in design circles in which you move of, of having already made the the step in, into the mainstream? Or are we really, really still at the, um, on the, on the cusp of breakthroughs? Well, I
1: think, Almost everything we as humans designed is inspired by nature. Uh, but for example, I think even electricity was inspired. <laughs> Finding out that there was electricity and how to use it was inspired by nature. Uh, I, I don't have the story so out hand right now, but uh, but and I think uh, what is uh, we realize this as biomimics, we you realize this much more and more. But also because we have now cutting edge techniques like 3D printing and uh, also uh, we have an electron microscope so you can see nanostructures um, and all uh, other kind of techniques. We are able to look at nature better and understand it better because we have techniques to look at it in different ways and also reproduce it, for example with 3D printing. You can have customized shapes. If I want to make a bone structure, and I want to, uh, I want to make it without a 3D printer. I have to do a lot of work, uh, hand work, and um, actually, I have to try to make. If I if I want to make a business out of it, I have to try to make a mold and use that mold uh, multiple times to to even try to. Um, get the costs back to make that mold but with the 3d printer you can be you can just uh, add uh, to uh, do uh, take a different parameter and adjust it a little bit and then you have a completely different outcome out of the 3d printer so this is actually how nature is because nothing is the same in nature so
0: that lead that that leads on to asking then um you know, of course, we can design objects and products which uh, resemble the way things behave in the natural world. But but can we apply this to um, to systems to um, to to to, uh, to to try to positively change the way we operate as as groups of people, of species, of organizations? Is is there already evidence of that way of thinking?
1: Yes, definitely. Uh, there's an, a nice book by Thompson Woolley Barker. It's called Teaming. Um, and uh, there is also a book uh, from Catherine Collins on uh, Honeybee Capital. And it's on uh, uh, biomimicry on investment. And teamings is biomimicry on organizations. And actually, uh, when we do uh, hackathons with, uh, with the ecosystems thinking, we also look at uh, the organization itself. Because sometimes uh, we get the question, how can we innovate, and how can we get new relationships that we need to have innovation within our company and how can we uh, design these relationships and if you look at nature, there is a symbiosis, and that's the way um, nature um, that's the, um, it's five types of ways the, the nature uh, has relations uh, like it's a predatory relationship or um, a mutualistic real relationship or um, well all, all kinds of other types and also if you look for example at um, innovation you can look at succession because succession is creating a new ecosystem so um, if you do innovation you need and you need new relationships um, you can see that within succession in, in the beginning have pioneers just the same as when what we do when we have a company you need some pioneers to do stuff these have a different relationship uh with each other and with the environment then um, if you look at a mature ecosystem where everything is more in balance and the pioneers are not needed that much anymore um, but you have some bigger species that uh, actually uh, are have a really big impact uh how everything works and of course then you have different relationships again so um, uh, that's the way we do it but i think uh, if you look at teaming from uh, from damson you can see for example that uh, you, what you can learn from ants they work with different kind of parameters um, and it's really interesting to look because we are actually nature ourselves um, um it's really interesting to look our, on how, how other species organise.
0: Are there um, are there schools of um you know of um, business um, um, scholarship you know um, mentoring of um, of, um, of business consulting which um, which are activating these kinds of insights now for organizations at, at, at scale you said that you're working with um, with government agencies in, um, in 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 Holland is it um, is that is that a, 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 a more generalized kind of state of play at the moment now? Is it happening yes,
1: elsewhere? Not really, but I think it's upcoming. So um, I also have, um, there's a Carolina Fernando Jansink, and she has a company called Cascading Sustainability, and she helps uh, businesses, and uh, really large businesses also, to be more sustainable but create new kind of business models that are um, uh, more resilient and uh, adaptable like nature itself. Uh, so um yeah there it's easy, but it's not really standard yet so uh, let's hope it will be
0: yeah yeah absolutely great great opportunity to um to, to, do, to do groundbreaking groundbreaking work I'm sure there's a there's a spectrum of activities and applications for um, um, for the idea of, of, of biomimicry. I, I wonder how important. Is the role of the designer? Um, does it is it is it a field in which it lends itself? You mentioned hackathons. Does it lend itself to opening up democratically to kind of a a flat hierarchy so that everyone um, everyone can participate in their um, in their own level, or is this very much you know like the whatever the biomimicry equivalent of a star architect is? You know, somebody who leads at the top and then dispenses the information down to down to others.
1: Yeah. Well, there's no room for star architects, so. Uh- I think uh, doing biomimicry uh, and also having respect for nature and every other species on the on the planet is something that um, you cannot um, prevail your own ego above nature. So, uh, and also working together with a lot of other people um, is really important. The multidisciplinary team because. As an arch, I'm an architect and I know something about uh, building, but I don't, I'm not a biologist. So if I have a question to nature, I really need a biologist and we we need to be on the same page. It's not that uh, we should also to understand each other. You should have a, because uh, you should have a good bond because biologists have a different language than architects. If I talk about an ecosystem, a biologist uh, has a completely different uh, idea about what an ecosystem is than I am as an architect. So to understand each other you should have really have respect respect each other and listen to each other. Uh, so being a architect and um, functioning on ego and functioning on aesthetics I think also in nature uh, function um, uh, form follows function. So I think um, the function is the most important. So, just create good buildings, good designs that work. And I think the only thing as an architect is that you can, you can, you have the talent to make things beautiful. So, um, but that's not the, not the main goal. It's the, the the goal is to have the good function. Usually, if if people get inspired by nature and know what biomimicry is and how the sustainability aspects work. Uh, Aesthetics don't even come to to mind. And I think when you look at nature and also then you have the biophilic design part again, uh, if you have more natural forms, it it's more, um, it speaks to you. Um, it, it's more, you are more related to these kind of shapes. So um, I don't get a lot of discussion about um, aesthetics, actually.
0: That's interesting. How far are we away from from these approaches being written into um, into planning law, generally? How far away from the mainstream are we?
1: Um, I don't think we are very far from mainstream because, you see, um, biophilic design is coming up really, really fast and it's kind of mainstream already a little bit. For me, in my world, it's kind of mainstream. Um, And... um, I think um, people are really um, disconnected from nature and trying to find this connection again. So that's a general trend. And also people don't know exactly what sustainability is. And I think biomimicry is the answer to this. Um, And um, therefore, especially in Holland, we have... a total focus on sustainability I think in every project there is some kind of sustainability question Um, so I think it helps but still biomimicry is not really known and it's kind of difficult too because the term is it's not really easy to pronounce it doesn't exactly in Holland you, you don't know what it means instantly um and um, also to practice it, it's also you need you need a multidisciplinary team and not everyone is equipped for this yet. So there are on the one hand, I think there's a raising demand for this kind of solutions. But on the other hand, it's not so easy to apply yet. The world has to change a little bit for that.
0: Holland is quite far um, ahead of the of the UK in this, as in as in many other things. My last guest, um, who works in community energy um, in the south of England, um, ori- uh, originally came over from Holland twenty years ago, and she said she thought that Holland was probably about ten years ahead of the UK in um, in most things. And I'm, I wonder if uh, if do you have a sense of why that might be the case?
1: Um, well. I think uh, we focus on um, uh, science a lot. Uh, we are a really small country, and our uh, we've, our economy was uh, is focused on on science and uh, knowledge. Um, so that's what innovation and and, and science is uh, is actually related pretty. Uh, strongly, um, and I also think because I'm—I'm I'm only guessing now, but um, we are—we as a company we lie below sea level, so everything we do is engineered, and um, we are really—we um, had to find new solutions for stuff because not a lot of other countries rely be totally below sea level. So um, I think it's a little bit in our genes to do this. And we have a very um, um, open structure, so um, I get a lot of help from everywhere. So it's pretty easy if, if I want to develop something, even though it's not related to money directly, People are really willing to help each other. So,
0: so one of the things that I know um, from my own work that you're um, that the that, that, that you're ahead, ahead of us on, but I know that we're ga- we're gallop, we're starting to gallop now in the UK is um, the closed loop approach to um, to design, and I know that they um, well by um, closed loop or circular economy and by moment, we don't exactly map onto each other they are they are related can you can you articulate how you understand the the relationship between these these two ideas and how it, how it kind of you practice this in your in, in your professional work
1: mm-hmm. well i think closed loops uh, are a very good uh, starting point to be more sustainable and also uh, there are really practical uh, things you can do already to to start being more sustainable um, but if you look at uh, at nature, ecosystems uh, are, have several closed loops. So it's not just one closed loop, but I think there are uh, endless closed loops that work together. And um, so um, also with biomimicry, we have a, a positive way of looking at sustainability. It's not pointing the finger at things that uh, are not exactly biomimicry because it's pretty hard to, to do uh, biomimicry 100% correct circular economy and closed loops, oh there, there's another thing maybe that is also interesting, when, you, when we work with uh, biomimicry we have um, we work with a design lens and um, one of the things is that we have feedback loops, so if you have a closed loop, first thing we actually should do is um, if we design this closed loop, have a feedback on it, and maybe try to make it even better. So um, I think it it will never stop to be more sustainable. You can always do better.
0: So it's it's one of the the ways that that, that might come to um, come to pass is to look at um, look at buildings or products which are being dissembled and and, and actively seek out um, well what we would call. Um, um a um, uh, post occupancy or post use evaluation from the people that have um, have been using them find out how it works what didn't work so well and then iterate the um the design the next for the for the next time
1: yes yes that's a really good feedback loop i think yeah
0: so um so so why would you say someone um, working in the built environment now um who may not be um, may not be kind of working in in, in this particular with this particular mindset? Why should they care um, now about um, about closed loop design principles?
1: Well, because I think um, if you look at our economy at this moment, it it's based on endless growth, and uh, in nature there is no endless growth and uh, of course we are nature so we should i think we should apply nature's laws too uh, and and see that there is for example not an endless uh uh ray of materials raw materials they we will we will begin be out of raw materials at one point so we need to be recycling so i think um that the point that we will be out of materials will not be very far from us. Um, so we should start, we should be thinking about recycling uh, materials um, right now. So um, if you look at, at biomimicry, we try to um, fit in the ecosystem as much as possible. And to do this, we uh, look at a mature ecosystem, for example, uh, like a forest, and we um, this mature ecosystem has several attributes uh, which we can learn from. For example, uh, if you have a young ecosystem, everything is linear, and if you have a mature e- ecosystem, uh, it, it's all more web like. And a young ecosystem has a lot of entropy, um, so it costs a lot of energy, and in a mature ecosystem, things are more in balance and everything costs less energy. So, um, what we did with buy- Increase, look at these attributes from ecosystems and we try to translate them in uh, Luis principles and these are um, principles um, is actually attributes translated into more business-like phrases so uh, every different um, field of work can use uh, the same phrase and uh, try to Implement these life principles into their own business. Um, and all these life principles are conducive to life. So everything is conducive to life. And um, for example, one of the things is um, um, use materials that are already there locally uh, that you can find locally that are locally attuned, for example. And um, um, I think if you use these principles and try to fit it in an ecosystem, um, that's actually what I try to do all of the time. And it's not possible for me to do 100% all of these attributes that uh, to fit in an ecosystem, but I just tr- try to do my best. So this is actually a guidance that I use to, uh, for all my designs.
0: And that's, that's, that's an interesting way of um, thinking about it. A, a, a gentle, a, ge- a gentler kind of um, animating, um, an, animating energy than rules, um, if, if, if you like. Where do the, where do the compromises tend to fall? Is it, is it things like um, the use of concrete or the distance that, that materials sometimes may have to to travel? Where, where do the compromises tend to fall in, 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 in your approach?
1: Well, they can fall everywhere. So, um, for, uh, I, I'm working on the, the first biomimicry showcase house in the world now, and we are looking for uh, recycled materials, and we want to do this as locally as possible. Uh, and I I already made the design and I made a list of materials I need and I work together with um, urban mining companies and, um, for example, some of the materials I cannot find uh, in in close range and then we would have to travel a bit more. But then you consider, is the travel better than uh, cost? Is it better than using the new raw materials? Is it better to use the recycle? all the things, every time you make, uh, you weigh your decision. And this goes, uh, if, if I do this for clients, then I try to, I have a, a really high uh, ideal <laughs> and I try to do as much as possible, but then sometimes uh, finan- finance comes in the way or um, people that really don't want to work with, with the things you suggest or... Um, um, you have found a material uh, that they produce but it's not possible to produce it on a large scale for example so um, it's not possible to say where where all these things lie there there on all the fields there are a lot but i think uh, it's you just try to do the best and see and and pick the low-hanging fruit and maybe have some some uh, really Things that you hang on to, that you think that are possibilities for the future or realizable within one project, and you do that.
0: Sure, and then as the um, and as the projects come to um, come to embody. Um, or a movement um uh, you know of a, a vanguard then um then other people start to be attracted to the field it gets a critical mass and then some of the you know the supply chains the um the procurement of these um of these things can become um become a little bit um a little bit easier perhaps you mentioned um you mentioned urban mining um in their um um companies organizations that can help you to obtain these materials i was i was really taken by um by something in a post that I saw from you about the um uh, project with the um, with the material harvest master i don't think i've ever i don't think i've ever seen a, a job with a title that i wanted i wanted for myself more than that <laughs> can you can you so a material what is a material harvest master um can you tell us a little bit about the project that that's uh, uh, arisen in and what the what the role involves
1: yeah it's actually for the for the Buy Me Increase showcase house um, I tried to find some uh, recycled materials for when I did uh, uh, the biological water sanitation plant I designed. And this was for a very big company. And they said they had a, a material library with recycled materials. And I asked them a few times, okay, show me the list with your materials and I will put them into my design. And then they said, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. And... Uh, after four, four times asking it, eventually they, they, look, they, they really did some research on it and it was completely empty. So um, what I now found that there are some companies that are really on the verge uh, of this. So the big companies usually don't have a lot of materials uh, lying around, but some smaller companies, uh, the demolition companies that work with these materials for years already, and also I have already some chain, um, chain partners, for example, if you have concrete, uh, a lot of uh, um, debris from the concrete can be used really easily for other uh, stuff or steel is something you can recycle pretty well. Um, so they have a lot more experience and they um, develop new kind of market strategies. So I have with uh, New Horizon, they call themselves an urban mining company. Uh, the, the, or, the origin was uh, from a demolition company, um, but they, have a, a, they really want to find partners within the field that can use their materials. You should have one guy or a team uh, that is really looking at the buildings and uh, know what kind of materials you can harvest. For example, if you have insulation material, the EPS or uh, something like that, that's actually more like toxic waste. It's not possible to reuse that because it's degraded in time and stuff like that. You cannot uh, recycle it really well. Um, companies that produce it say they recycle it but they don't uh, so you have to and it will stay in the environment for hundreds of years but if you look at um, uh, window frames for example uh, if um, these these are really a good, uh, they they are really uh, good to recycle, but of course they have a little bit of a devaluation because you cannot use them as a window frame again. But you can have uh, other applications for this. Uh, and what the harvest master does is also look on how to demolish it. Is it possible to get it out uh, in whole? What is the relationship uh, with um, with my chain partner? Can can the uh, what kind of chain partners do i need um, what are the, the the possibilities for this material in to upgrade it or downgrade it or uh whatever so um it's a new way of looking at uh at demolishing the
0: uh, is it a, is it a professionalized world do they have esteem in the built environment industry
1: um well, I think uh, maybe there are two or three harvest masters yet uh, in Holland. So, uh, and I think they are more self-proclaimed than they have actually have a job description. But uh, they, we, we need them a lot. So, uh, I think there should be more. As you, what I know is that there is a, um, there are some schools uh, that uh, uh, I don't know what kind of school it is Uh, how you call this but they it's people that do more handicraft stuff so work with their hands like uh, masonry or stuff like that Um, they have a special division uh, within their education that teaches um, students how to demolish things so this is a complete new field Um, and maybe these eventually can call themselves harvest masters i don't know
0: yeah, fantastic. So, and so understanding the materials, how they behave, how they need to be disassembled, whether or not they 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 um, they, they 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 can be and re, reprocessed, re, recycled. So, I guess there's um, there's an element of like material material design as well, like um, understanding that like the the difference between knowing your way around plastics and wood and and, and metals, understanding. Methods of fixing all kinds of things. Wow, amazing! Have um, you guys? I spoke with um, with uh, the architect that I mentioned before, Duncan baker Brown. We spoke about uh, materials passports. Is that a thing that's um, that, that that that's that's making its way into into your into your work?
1: Yes, definitely. Um, I was trying to do this with a, uh, with uh, another architect and a group of students. Uh, we found um, a place that where a lot of um, parts of the building should be demolished. It was a, it was not exactly a monument, but um, because it was not visible anymore because there was a, a lot of things built around it. Um, and we had, uh, we wanted to make um, a material passport for this for for the recycled materials uh, and also make it in 3D. So we can put it uh, in a computer program and actually you could fit it in right into your design whatever you want and make a library out of this um, we started to, to do this just um, we only had six months for this and it was with six students so it was a short um, would an attempt and a concept about this but it's not developed yet completely uh, and i think some other companies are doing this too so
0: so um what are the steps that we need to um, to go through to increase the um, to increase the share of reuse um, as it's deployed systematically in, um, in in you know in built environment in construction?
1: Well, I think if you build something, you would have to think about how the materials you use can be recycled and uh, um, also mined from your building so uh, if you use something with glue uh, it's probably if you want to um, use separate the elements separate again you have to break one of them because glue is not really reversible you. Um, um i think um my preparation would be if you use um, wooden joints, actually, wood, um, like the Japanese wood joints you have um, to, to, to uh, combine stuff. Uh, and also, I think, um, using materials that are not toxic. Um, that's actually a cradle-to-cradle motive, I guess. Uh, use uh, materials that you don't pollute with other materials so you can recycle them. Um, yeah, and I think there are more, but these are the two I can think of right now.
0: Designing for disassembly, then everything that should be, um, should goes together, should be able to be taken apart.
1: Yes, you, sh- you should start with if you make something, it should be recycled. It should be you should be able to recycle it. That should be the also the goal with of your design.
0: Yeah yeah that's 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 the that's the headline and, and in order to drive that that agenda is it is this something that will um that will that we should expect to just develop over time kind of spontaneously through um what 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 what's the mechanism for um, for scaling up the um, the amount of um, of design that happens like this is it is it through regulation or, or or something a little bit less less centralized more spontaneous
1: well i think with uh with biomimicry and Try to implement biomimicry more and have people uh, know about it more. Uh, um, I think it's not. Um, we shouldn't have, shouldn't do this by regulation, but um, by motivation. So we give a. I, am, I I have some colleagues also. We give a lot of lectures on biomimicry. And uh, when we do this, we really try to inertly motivate people to do s- stuff themselves. So even small steps within your daily practice could help to be more sustainable. And I think uh, we need a mind shift with this. So that's the biggest thing is that you should actually realize that you are nature yourself and you cannot live with without other species you are actually dependent on bees for food because they pollinate or we are um, really dependent on plants because we get oxygen from them so once you think about it like this uh, i think that's the biggest step so it's for every individual it starts with an individual it's not something you can say the government has to um, say, you have to do this. I think we as, a, as people should realize we need this. And I think the first step everyone could make today is go into nature, like for 15 minutes even, and look look at nature, not just experience it and look at it. So not just walk around and say, okay, I know this, but really take a new look at it. That's, that's the start everyone could make today.
0: Before we before we wrap things up, I wonder if I could um, if I could just ask you the, uh, the the questions that I pose to all of my um, all of my guests, beginning with um, if you were a queen for a day, if you could do one thing to make the world a, a better place, what what would that be?
1: I think I would cast a spell on every one of us uh, for one day, just to and to have deep respect for other organisms. Uh, that would be that would be my quick for a day request
0: (laughs) okay and then um, uh, three good things Um, so one uh, podcast or book you think um, you think people would get some value from
1: yeah I I really love uh, uh, Frans de Waal he's a Dutch biologist and he's looking at primates but more the the social aspect of primates and it's a, it's a book, it's called, Are We Smart Enough to Know How Intelligent Animals Are? And uh, it's actually, for me, this is why my interest in, in nature is so big. Um, because um, we look at a lot of animals and th- or nature and think it is less than us. But nature has some things that is that are much greater than us. Um, for example, we we just don't acknowledge the talents nature has sometimes.
0: This is um th- this is my single favorite part of the um of this of this podcast series is my um is my growing um, growing reading list from these recommendations and that, that sounds like an excellent ad- excellent addition. Um, uh, penultimate question: uh, one person or, or social media um, social media channel that you think people should check out?
1: I kind of like LinkedIn because that's also how we met. Uh, <laughs> I really love to do this interview with you um, and to be able to uh, speak about my interests and passion. Um, so And it brings me a lot also. I post a lot of stuff that I find interesting. And usually when I do some networking, of course, because of the corona, that's not possible now, I get a lot of reactions on it. So I think LinkedIn is maybe, uh, for me, one of the best uh, media cha- uh, social media channels um yeah
0: and finally your favorite place to immerse yourself in nature and why
1: yeah that's that's a really good question because that's actually one of the questions that we start with when we do a biomimicry workshop yeah (laughs) Because then uh, you get to know people more than uh, only business-wise. And um, you find out their interests and uh, you, you immediately get some personality out from it. But my, my, mine is uh, the Dutch Sea in, uh, in Domburg. Uh, it's where I spent my youth. And um, usually there was three months out of a year we, we were there uh, every weekend and sometimes uh, eight weeks Uh, uh, behind each other like uh, eight weeks in total and um i really found i could do a lot of research on nature there um i have fond memories of my father there too He, he loved water too and um um Well, uh, he almost drowned when he was a kid. And when he grew older, he sailed the sea. Uh, He was a first machinist um, when my mom met him. And it was very important for for him to teach us to swim. And um, uh, I think um, this is why my love for the sea uh, is uh, not only because of the nature, and uh, the constant moving of the waves and uh, all the other species you can find uh, to do research on, but also because of the, the personal relation with my father, and that's not who's no longer here with us. So
0: the connection of memory and and, and, that, and that and that emotion. Lydia, thanks very much for joining me this week. It's been a real pleasure um, having this conversation with you. I certainly feel like I've um, I've learned a lot about biomimicry. Looking forward to following your pioneering work and, and who knows, maybe I'll be um, contacting you soon to find out more about how to become a harvest master.
1: Yeah, well, thank you very much for all the, the great questions and uh, the, the opportunity for me to, to share my passion with you. And I'm very open. We need a lot of more harvest, harvest masters, so uh, bring it on. <laughs>